0: starting in verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did do you want me to release to you the king of the jews asked pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed jesus over to him but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have pilate release barabbas instead what shall i do then with the one you call the king of the jews pilate asked them crucify him they shouted why what crime has he committed asked pilate But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, before we address and we look at a couple lessons that I believe we should learn from our story. I want us to look again at some of the details. Now, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, friends. This is not an exhaustive listing of the details you could go over. There's a lot of things happening in these 15 short verses that help nuance it. But, but I want to look at four, I think, details that are important for our consideration today. First, we saw last week that the Sanhedrin had this sham of a trial where they put Jesus up on trumped charges, right? They brought false accusations, false accusations after him. And our story today opens up with the court proceedings of the previous night. Now, I would have hoped that after a couple hours of sleep, that maybe as a Sanhedrin, after they had already announced Jesus guilty of blasphemy and deserving of death, I would have hoped that cooler heads would have prevailed after at least a couple hours of sleep but what we find is as they meet together in the morning, they're even more committed to their plans. And we're told actually in verse one that the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, all of those who were representatives of the faithful community of Jesus Christ or the faithful community of God, those who were supposed to be worshipers of Yahweh, all of them came and sign an agreement. They pacted together to make plans to do away with Jesus and to continue in this charade. They bind Jesus up as a revolutionary, as a violent criminal. It says they bind him together. They 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 made him look like he was guilty of something heinous, some heinous crime, and they. March him in front of the people to Pilate's palace. Because Jesus was popular with the people, the Sanhedrin had to win them over. They knew that the only way they were going to pull this stunt off was if they could win in the court of popular opinion. And they haul him off like a common criminal. Now, in uh, the second detail we have to look over, in our text, we we read at least three times where Jesus was handed over. And actually, in verse 1, we saw that the Sanhedrin handed Jesus over to Pilate. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, this term, this phrase, to be handed over, has dual purpose in Mark's mind. First, it describes the simple, sinful actions of men. The Sanhedrin knew false well that they were trumping the charges against Jesus, that this was a sham, and in their sin, they hand Jesus over to Pilate to be executed. They chose to ignore the claims of Jesus. They chose to ignore the message of the Messiah. Their willful ignorance led them to have hardened hearts, towards Jesus. And the end result of their sinfulness was that they would become the instruments of handing Jesus over to his death. And so it simply describes the actions of sinful men. But it also, as, as Mark is writing that Jesus was handed over, he also has a divine purpose in mind. It's not simply that Jesus is accidentally handed over But earlier in Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus had been preparing his disciples over and over again for what would happen. Jesus knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die on a cross. And so he was preparing his disciples and he said to them, the son of man will be handed over to the authorities. Jesus makes the connection of being handed over to men as part of God's plan and purpose for his life. Not to just save you and not to just save me, but even if possible, even the very ones who were falsely condemning him. Could you imagine that for a minute? When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying also for the Pharisees as well. When Jesus died on the cross, he was also dying for Pilate as well. He was handed over, not simply because of the actions of sinful men, but because it was part of God's plan and purpose for Jesus. We're introduced to this phrase called the King of the Jews. Have you you noticed that? Did you see that at the beginning? Pilate all of a sudden just out of nowhere says, gives him this title, the King of the Jews. What shall I do with the King of the Jews? Are you the King of the Jews? And you're like, where did this come from? Nowhere in Mark's gospel do we see this title except for right here. And I it, what is this all about? Now, again, Pilate could care less about the Jews' faith and religion, right? And if the if the Sanhedrin were to come to Pilate and say, you need to kill this guy because he claims to be the Messiah, Pilate's gonna look at him funny and say, The Messiah. Who? It's not gonna make any sense to him at all. He's gonna be like, You go and judge these things. And in fact, one of the other gospels. Pilate tries to have nothing to do with it. This sounds like your religious stuff. I want nothing to do with it. And so again, this shows us that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, were committed to the sham because what they did is they took what the chief priest had asked Jesus. Remember last week from the night before? The chief priest, he's frustrated that Jesus isn't incriminating himself, and so he asked him plainly, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed, right? And do you remember Jesus' response? I am, and the high priest flips out, right? Now, what the high priest does is he takes that phrase, the Messiah, the son of the blessed, and he translates a religious statement into a political one because he knows that if Jesus claims to be king, that Pilate has to take that seriously because Rome will not put up with a threat to the emperor's right to rule. So when you see Pilate calling Jesus the king of the Jews, it shows us that the Sanhedrin has twisted the words to make Jesus sound like an insurrectionist. Now it's interesting to note that Jesus remained silent during this line of questioning. Did you catch that? He remained silent. Now, it was Pilate's responsibility, if someone claimed to be king, to at least ask that person three times whether it's true or not. At least there was some sense of due process. But when pressed further by Pilate, did you notice Jesus, he responded by saying, if you say so. You have said it. Right? Right? Now, the inflection in the original language, though, is on the emphasis, you. He says, Pilate, you say I'm the king of the Jews. What Jesus is doing here is he is recognizing a statement of faith by a non-believer. And Jesus, by emphasizing the you in the original language, when he says you say so, He's basically saying, now Pilate, what are you going to do about that? If you believe I'm a king, and I truly am, what's your response going to be? Sadly, we see unbelief because he sends Jesus to die on the cross. Friends, the next and last detail I want to look at is, did you notice how quickly the crowd turned on Jesus? In our story, it was only like the beginning of the week when Jesus came into Jerusalem. I know it seems like a long time because we've been in Mark for a while, right? But for the people, it was only a week where they were claiming, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were waving the palm branches. You remember that on Palm Sunday and they were putting the coats down. They were saying Hosanna on Monday and on Friday or Thursday, they're saying crucify him. How quickly the crowd has turned. How quickly do we turn on Jesus? How quickly have you seen someone else turn on Jesus? Where one day he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and the next he's an unloving jerk. Friends, we've got to be so careful with our own faith. Otherwise, we can run the risk of having our hearts turn sour on Jesus. Jesus. Now, all of these details point to a couple lessons that I believe we are to learn from the story. If you're taking notes, the first is this. You must do what is right, even when it's unpopular or uncomfortable. You must do what is right, even when it's unpopular or uncomfortable. Now, as I read and reread this story this week, I was convinced that it's just as important in how we live out our faith as it is in what we believe about Jesus and believing in Jesus. We saw that last week, right? What we believe about Jesus is just as important as believing in Jesus. I believe today we need to be reminded it's just as important to live faithfully for Jesus, which means that we must do the right thing even when it's difficult regardless of the personal cost. Pilate had the absolute authority to release Jesus. He knew that it was in the self-interest of the Pharisees that they were bringing him to Jesus. He knew it was a sham. And yet he gave into the crowd. Did you notice that? In verse 15, it says, wanting to satisfy the crowds. Friends, temptation wants to get you to satisfy something other than faithfulness to God when you're faced with a difficult, challenging decision, whether to do the right thing, to do nothing, or to do the wrong thing. Friends, temptation still tries to get us to do anything but be faithful in our relationship with Jesus. Now, it's a sad story in the Gospels to not see at least one person, to see at least one religious leader buck the trend and say, I'm a no vote for killing Jesus. We don't see that, do we, in the scriptures? Now we see that other priests, other religious leaders, like potentially Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea may have been one of the religious leaders, the apostle Paul, okay, we do see them come to faith post-resurrection, but it's a sad state of affairs when we don't see it before Jesus is crucified. It's sad when we don't see people standing up for the right thing. And is that not true of our world today? When we see all the evils that take place in our world and we wonder, where is God's voice today? Friends, may it be because we're too concerned about politics Maybe it's because we're too concerned about casting the right vote. Maybe it's because we've handed over doing the right thing to elected officials, as opposed to saying, no, it's to us, it's to you, it's to me, to ensure that we are living rightly before God. Now, friends, I'm not saying don't go out and vote, okay? We live in a wonderful country where we have the privilege and the opportunity to make a decision on such high levels of government where decisions are being made friends go out and vote but if you're waiting for your elected officials to do what is right you will wait forever and it'll never come go do it yourself even if it gets you into trouble with the government be careful. I'm not telling you to outright disobey laws. There's some laws that you should just go the speed limit. Please go the speed limit, okay? But friends, when it comes when when government establishes a law that tells you to violate one of God's moral principles, be willing to pay the cost to follow God more than the government. Okay? Friends, you must do what is right no matter the cost. I I, I wonder, have you noticed um, how much money is raised during the political season? I was reading about the uh, Senate race in Texas and how uh, one candidate has raised triple-digit millions, I think. It's like an obscene amount of money, and and the dude may still lose. And I just look at all the money that's thrown at politics and I think, we, we've got a homelessness issue, we've got poverty issues, we've got school funding issues, we've got, <laughs> right? And I, and, I, and I have to think that people that are contributing to these candidates are also Christian. And I think, what if we instead of gave that money to politics, we gave that money to the kingdom? What would happen in our world. But, friends, so many times we try to abdicate our own responsibility to others and we cannot. And that leads to my second lesson. And that is this God's plan does not counsel, cancel out your responsibility. Okay? God's will does not cancel out your responsibility. There could be, Pilate could say, he could try to attempt this. God, I sent Jesus to his death because you said so. Didn't you say this was going to happen? Didn't you tell the disciples before I said yes, send him to his death, that it would happen? Shouldn't you let me off the hook? Isn't it your responsibility? Isn't it your fault anyway? Friends, the ends do not justify the means, okay? They never do. God cares about means and ends equally. And just because it was God's will and God's plan for Jesus to be crucified, that does not cancel out Pilate's responsibility and accountability for his own actions. There's this verse in uh, Romans 8, it's uh, Romans eight twenty eight 28, uh, that Paul wrote, and he says it this way. We know that God causes all, All things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, that when Paul writes all things, that means all things, right? Not just some things, not just little things, not just the good things, but all things. God takes your sin. God takes your failures and your messes and he makes something beautiful out of them. Isn't that amazing? When you think you blew it and you're, oh, I'm such a failure. God doesn't love me. I'm a jerk. God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you have the pity party, remember I can take those things and make something wonderful out of it. And I love that because that gives me, the chief of sinners amongst Glenfair Family Church, some hope for my future. I blow it, friends. I make tons of mistakes. Ask my wife and kids. But the grace of God is that, that I'm forgiven of those things and God takes those things and makes something beautiful out of them. But show me in Scripture where it says I still don't bear responsibility or accountability for those things. Now we're told in Romans also that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe it's Romans 10.1 or 12.1. I think it's 10.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means when you die and if you've said yes to Jesus and put your trust and hope in him and you face our heavenly father, you don't have to be afraid of being Put out of heaven because of past sin. If you've said yes to Jesus, then the death he died on the cross has been applied to you. Balance paid in full is what it says. Awesome, right? Thanks, Dick. I'm glad that you believe that, brother. Thank you. Him and I, we have the, the horrible sinners club that we're starting. Anybody want to join? Beautiful messes. That's what it is. Here's the thing. We don't have to face condemnation because of what Christ has done. But every single one of us will have to give an account for the life that we live. And so, just because something may be in God's plan for you, or maybe God takes a mess and works it for your good, does not cancel out your responsibility and accountability. So, what do we do with that? We go to God and ask for grace and mercy. And we live gracefully with other people. The most gracious people on this planet should be the ones sitting in this room today. The most gracious people on the planet should be the ones sitting in this room today. Because God's been so gracious towards you He asks us to be gracious towards others. Even the pilots in your life. Those wicked sinners you want nothing to do with. Even the religious hypocrites. Those people who snub their faith in your face and make you feel inferior. It says we deal graciously with everyone, with one another. Because Christ has dealt graciously with you. Amen? So friends, I think the lesson that we learn from Pilate is is that we must, we must live faithfully. We must do what is right, even at great personal cost, because it has been entrusted to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of heaven. You have been given, in a sense, the keys to the kingdom To unlock the door so you can let people in. So friends, you must do right regardless of the cost. And friends, you must remember that while there is grace upon grace upon grace, we will remain accountable for our lives. So let that not motivate us in fear to go cower, but let that motivate us to be gracious people, to grow in grace and extend grace and be grace. Amen? Friends, would you please join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you took something so horrible, like a false trial in the condemnation of your son, the murder of Jesus Christ, the worst sin ever committed in all of history. You take that and you weave it into grace. And Father, we have a responsibility as the bearers of your grace to give it away, to give it to our neighbors, to give it to our coworkers, to give it to our family members, to give it to strangers, to even give it to politicians. God, we're called to be dispensers of grace even at great personal cost. And so, Father, I pray that we would see that we've been given a great responsibility and that we would not hide in fear, but we'd step out in faith and trust that you desire to do great things, gracious things through us, challenge us, strengthen us, and lead us.